Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And on today's episode, we've got some really great recruitment insights that we're going to talk about. First of all, I think what we're all feeling is talent acquisition stretch too thin. And what can you do? Is working harder the only answer? We're going to give you some suggestions there. We're also going to talk about the latest trend of publicly quitting on TikTok. Lastly, some distinctions between recruitment admin, recruiters, and sourcers. So with that, I would like to introduce my lovely and talented and going gray just on the sides a bit, Serge Boudreaux. There's actually a lot more gray. Every time I look, the gray doubles. Oh, Probably man. a year from now, I'll be so distinguishing, gray. though, right? Just a little gray at the temples. So, Shelly, I never told you this, but I've been letting my hair grow for almost six months because I wanted to get a specific style and it's not working out the way I wanted. So, <laughs> it's like growing bangs. Yeah, it comes to a point where you just want to fucking cut it off. It's done. I'm going yeah, for a haircut uh, very shortly. So, you know, speaking of silver foxes, when I was over in Europe, yeah, it takes a lot to turn my head. The, Are you sure about that? No, no, listen, it does. It, it really does. And so okay. there were a couple of men that I had seen when I was in Paris, and both of them were silver foxes, where it was like, oh, stop me in my tracks. They were so handsome, but they were both completely silver. Really? It was really quite sexy. You might want to think about going... Oh, I'm a big fan of the full silver. Uh, I think it's a good look. God, especially on a man that's like in their late 40s to mid 50s. Oh my God. I I still think I'm too young to go completely gray like that, but I'll tell you. No, it's got to be silver, not gray. Very similar, I guess. What's different? What's different? There is a difference because I have some friends who decided over COVID that they're just not going to color their hair anymore and they've gone completely gray. There is a big difference between gray hair and the the beautiful silver. Like beautiful I think silver. it's a gift from God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll see. And not I'll just probably the- I'll probably be gray, but I'd rather be gray or silver than lose my hair. I've told you this before. I'm not buffed enough, and uh, I'm not good looking enough to lose my hair. No. Again. Do you know what these couple of gentlemen that I just simply passed on the street that took my breath away? They were in that age group. But yes, full head of hair but completely silver. It was just like... So why didn't you... uh, Throw myself at him? Yeah, why not? What else? You're on vacation. (laughs) No, no, that's not me. That's not my style. Do you know the other thing I wanted to ask you? You know the program 60 Minutes? Yes, of course. In my opinion, they're not alarmist, but they are truly journalists. 60 Minutes had an episode on the Great Resignation. And they interviewed the chief economist from LinkedIn. That's a pretty credible source, even from a public perspective, but certainly from the TA world to have the chief economist. And Karen said, when it comes to employment, the person holding the pen is the employee. And they were asking her, so does that mean gone are the days that employers get to choose? And (laughs) she said, yes, absolutely. I haven't seen it, so I, I'm giving okay. an opinion on something I haven't seen. But just based on that, I think she's right, but she's right right now. I do think that we are going to see this shift in five to ten years because as companies can't get staffing, they are automating. There's yeah, a lot of automation going on. I think we are going to see that shift go back 
to the employer side because there will be less need for the amount of employees that is needed now. But I mm-hmm. agree right now it's mm-hmm. those days are over. But what I'm trying to figure out is why have so many employers not figured this out? Now, market with the same message. And, and so, we talk to a lot of them and they still yeah. are oblivious to what the reality of the market is. Yeah. Do you know the other really good part of that particular piece was they talked to people who had either been laid off in early 2020 or let go or furloughed or whatever the polite word was and how many people just decided I'm not going back doing what I used to do. They still are working, but they did not go back to their old employer and they have found better work that better suits their life. And they interviewed a few different industries. They got perspective from a construction company. They got perspective from a virtual assistant organization and someone who was formerly fairly senior as a marketing exec, who's now a virtual assistant, loves her work, calls the shots on the hours and works from home. That was the other big message was the the work from home. So what was their message there? What I heard was the work from home is what has allowed a lot of parents to still keep their fingers in whatever their profession is, but realize that the long commute, having to throw your kids into daycare, if daycare is even available, is just not even an option. Like, why would you go back to putting your kids through that for a job that you could do at home? We were just talking about that, myself and my wife, on how this has changed dramatically. We live a very busy life with three young kids. And Mm -hmm. just putting in perspective what that would mean if we both worked in an office, had to drive them to daycare. Just the thought of getting the twins ready for a 7 a.m. every morning. So dress, fed. I I can't imagine. I don't know how parents did it before. And you're right. Do parents want to go through that again? Instead of spending that time with their kids. And if they do go to daycare, if you have to work, you've got a lot more time. There's no rush. You're bringing them in between one of your breaks or whatever the case is. So you're right. Employers that have the feeling people with family want to go back to the way it is, I can tell you that's not the case because there's no way I would do it again with three young kids. It's either I would stay home or my wife would stay home if we had to do that. Yeah. Or you get a nanny. Or we get a nanny, which we have Because, you know, I had three little kids and my ex and I, we both worked full time in management level roles. And so I I had someone come in. You had to. There was just no other way I could do it. So listen, let me change subjects. Just a tweak here. Do you know who John Velestica is? Recruiting Toolbox is his company. Super duper company. He's created some really great stuff. I love his content. Ah. And, And I love the article that he wrote. It was a LinkedIn talent blog when he talked about us as talent acquisition leaders. What can we do when we're stretched too thin? The idea that you just work more hours. I cringe when you're interviewing a candidate and you say, like, how do you prioritize your time? Well, I just work longer, right? Like if there's a deadline, I just work overtime. (laughs) That's the wrong answer. So he wrote a great article. I know both of us had a chance to take a look at it. But what were your thoughts, Serge, on the things that he brought up about, you know, we've got DNI goals, we're training up hiring managers. Oh, and by the way, let's build a talent pipeline for the future, right? Like, fuck, when does it end? Well, talking to a lot of talent acquisition leaders, there is a ton coming at them. The organizations coming in with all these new initiatives that they feel needs to get done because look, guys, we're not putting enough signs around the building showing that we're going to be hiring on top of 
<laughs> multiple roles, hundreds of hiring managers know, coming at them and yeah. every role is a priority and people are starting to realize like, do I really want to do this? And for everyone feeling that way that's listening, I think it's time to take a step back because mm -hmm. this is the time for us to showcase how good we are. And we got to do some things a little bit different. The first thing you mentioned is we should just work harder. No, that's not the case. We should not be working harder. We are dealing with talent acquisition managers that are sending us stuff on Saturdays and Sundays. Stop doing that right now. If you're that person, stop doing it. Make your hours during the week the most efficient as you can be. So trying harder is not the answer. One that I find interesting is prioritizing. What he says in this article is, it's actually not prioritizing, it's deprioritizing. Have an intelligent conversation with your leaders about, you know, I've got seven jobs from three other areas of the business. Why don't you go and negotiate that your job is more important than theirs? That's what I took from it, right? Everybody throws it at you. And the person who's the biggest asshole, usually, you know, they complain the most. They're going to check in with you. You done yet? How about now? How about now? They're just going to micromanage you until you lose your fucking mind or you just get absolutely burnt out Yeah. You know, versus TA leaders having an intelligent conversation saying, so what's the impact? If we get these 20 roles filled, can you actually bring them all on at the same time? Yeah, exactly to your point. What's the impact of your business, yeah, uh, yeah. your customers, your revenue targets, your ability to scale, and asking all your hiring managers and just seeing what actually the impacts were to the business is how you should be prioritizing. Because yeah. most recruiting departments out there are understaffed at the particular moment, as we see with yeah, so yeah. many ads out there. Mm -hmm. So you got to maximize what you have. Focus on the ones that make the biggest impact to your business is what you should be doing. So mm -hmm. definitely prioritizing is critical. Should you be outsourcing, Shelly? So Serge, my measuring stick of the difference between a good TA leader and a great one. A great TA leader sees that outsourcing is a supplement and not a, a sign of failure. It's not. So being able to be proactive and develop a relationship with a staffing firm or with a contingency agency, because if they need 20 people and the business says, Yes, there's a direct impact to revenue if we don't have 20 people hired in the next two weeks. Okay, now's the time you leverage the relationships you built with a contingency firm, right? That is not a failure on your part. In fact, a TA leader's job is to develop those relationships. I think a mediocre TA leader feels threatened that somehow yeah. we had to go to a staffing firm. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, I 100% agree. I think there's exactly those situations. It has to be intentional right? It has to be yes. intentional. It has to be planned. In some cases, it's going to be reactive, but you try to avoid that as much as possible. You have a plan in place and part of it is outsourcing, knowing your resource, knowing your business, yeah. knowing what's coming in the business. Who so are you going to call? Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. Shelly, another thing I hear a lot from different TA leaders is we have no money. We have no money for tools. We have no money for <laughs> advertising. We have no money. I've come across this many times and I've always figured a way how to get that money. Yeah, me too. If there's what a certain department <laughs> that is really desperate yeah. for people, I approach that and be like, hey, it's going to cost us $5,000 to advertise these particular roles in the markets. And it's so funny because when the other departments are like $5,000. Are like, you kidding me? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Like, here's the money. But asking $5,000 when you're reporting to an HR department seems like a massive deal. The piece right? of advice that he has here is find those allies and go find money somewhere else. 
You know, I love that. And when I think back to working as part of HR, that is the problem because HR is always about reducing overhead. We're not a revenue generating department. So I always was intentional to find someone in the business who is in revenue generation. And you're right. I got the same reaction. I come to them and say, we want to use a LinkedIn recruiter. Here's how we think it's going to help. And we need 50 grand. They were like, yeah, okay. Is that all? Their response is so completely different. Another great case for why recruitment should not be part of HR. And we should be reporting to a CEO or a revenue generating side of the business. <laughs> to go back and grovel for $5,000, it's almost laughable. Yeah. <laughs> There's some elements that I agree that you should build a business case on why you need that particular tool. When it's yeah. $5,000, $10,000, even $100,000, yeah. depending yeah. on the context of the business. So It is almost laughable. I know. It, it is talking about laughable. As you're aware, I'm a little bit addicted to TikTok. Yeah, uh, and more specifically lately is what they call quit talk. People that are going on TikTok and sharing their story or live streaming them actually quitting their job. So if you haven't checked this out, just hashtag quit talk. And there is literally 500,000 to a million videos of people quitting their job and recording it live or recording it right after the fact. Have you seen this, Shelly? Am I telling you something new here? Um, no, this is not new. And something I worry about. So realize that most people that are doing this are in a, a job that they hate. And typically they're between the ages of 18 and 24. That just happens to land squarely into how old my kids are. And I think, oh my God, like you think you're invincible at this age, right? Yeah. And so to go on TikTok and rant about why I'm not going to work for another $10 an hour, especially this one girl that they quote in, you know, the most recent article here, she's saying things like, I'm not a slave. I quit. You know, like it's very dramatic, but I also think this is setting a tone for what is or isn't appropriate for a very impressionable group because between 18 and 24, if you think this is okay in business, oh my God. Are you in for a glass of cold water in the face? Yeah. The most alarming part is that for some reason, they're being applauded as some sort of fucking celebrity for being an idiot. I think it's so dangerous. Oh, my God. But so entertaining. So I'm okay with it. But I knew you were going to feel that way talking about this. And I get it. And I feel the same way. But I think what these people don't understand is... In the world of work right now, where there's so many jobs they can go out and get, they can cross the street, find another job, right. and they're set. These are not professional jobs, though. Come no, on. No, no, no. But these are all generally service type jobs. Construction, right? yes. Yeah, Retail, yeah. restaurants, all those types of roles. And they can quit Dunkin' Donut and go work at Tim Hortons across the street really easy. So, they don't see any possible repercussions that in our days, you would never do that because when you're able to secure a job, the last thing you ever want to do is get fired or quit because it's so tough to get another one with no experience that this generation is not feeling that. So there's a certain power to that. And they're not realizing that video five, 10 years, when the tables turn, that might come to haunt them. It could have a really negative impact. And the other point to it, there is companies doing background checks on social media right now and is mm -hmm. becoming more and more prevalent. 
So they are going to find that shit, and I don't think that's a good thing if they do find it. There's definitely not a lot of upside of doing this, except trying to grow your clout on TikTok. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, there's a career path. Well, potentially. Um, oh, really? Come on, Serge. Like, the ones that actually get a million followers. But this is different. So, I mean, the one TikToker there, she asked for a raise and didn't get it and decided to rant on TikTok about it. Who do you think is going to hire her going forward? She was a freelance copywriter or something. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Who's going to hire you after that? I'm just Googling as we talk. There is a fair amount of people that make money off TikTok, right? It's, it's actually a lot higher than you would expect, but it's still very minute compared to how many people are in TikTok. Yeah. So listen, I'm going to change topics here to our last kind of discussion point around a lot of recruiters believe that they are recruiters, but I think by definition, they're recruitment administrators. Yeah. And, and then recruiters who then confuse themselves and say, well, no, I'm a sorcerer. So Serge, help me sort this out in my head here. In your experience, tell me, what do you see as the biggest distinction between a recruiter and a sorcerer? Or are we just mixing up titles here? Oh, I think they're completely different in, in a lot of organizations. So a sorcerer, their main function is the ability to go find the people in whatever way. They're more like a private investigator, finding where the people are, where they should be looking, where are these people located, and then engaging with these folks and getting them started on the process. The main role of a recruiter is getting candidates through the process in a very positive way and closing at every step. The flip side to what a recruiter does that a sorcerer doesn't really touch is the hiring manager. Sorcerers should be part of the intake calls with the hiring managers to get a deep dive on what the role is. But the relationship of the hiring manager should be managed by the recruiter across the board. Recruiters are account managers in a two-way marketplace. They're account managers for the candidates, account managers for the hiring managers. That is the role of a pure recruiter. So recruitment men, and I see this in a lot of organizations, they post the job, candidates come in, they look at the resumes, oh, I want to book that guy or girl for an interview. They call them, they do a little bit of a pre-screen, they look at the calendars, they book an interview. You're not a recruiter, you're a recruiter admin, which is... A lot of organization, that is their model. I'm not saying that's the right or the wrong model, but that's what I see the main okay. difference between a sorcerer and a recruiter. What's your thoughts? Okay. In my interpretation, a true sorcerer is working on recruiting and finding people where a certain segment or job family is, not necessarily responding to an open requisition. That's a recruiter's job. A sorcerer, on the other hand, knows full well that if we are in the business of finding oil, that geologists and geophysicists are a skill set that we will always need. So as a sorcerer, I'm doing things based on the fact we're always going to need this skill, not reacting to open position, recruit, fill, right? Then it's too late. A sorcerer for me is someone who's thinking really well in advance. A sorcerer is somebody who's building relationships with those people because when they're ready to change jobs, you've already developed that relationship. There isn't a recruiter on this earth that has the time to do that because they're transactional, because it is 
vacant position, requisition, do the process. So I think that's the biggest thing is that companies that invest in sourcers recognize that for as long as we're in business, we're going to need truck drivers. But also sourcing can be for reactive roles. A new role comes into play. It's going to take a lot of investigation to get where that talent pool is needs to have a deep understanding of how to find people in the internet. You are right. That's the ideal role. But if you get a very difficult role that comes in, wouldn't you want that person that knows all the depths of where candidates could potentially be and the one to research that compared to a recruiter that maybe never does that? They're used to roles coming in. I think we're both right. Yeah, yeah, they can certainly supplement because they know how to hunt people down. Yeah. Right. And and to be very savvy technically versus a recruiter, there's no way. If you've got 30 open racks, no way. Do you agree with me that the recruiter is really an account manager? Absolutely. That is probably the best description I have heard is that two-way marketplace. That's what I love about recruitment and being a recruiter is the fact that you've got to be able to work both sides of that equation. So thank you for that. I think we always need reminders of the titles that we take and what are some of the different roles that we can grow into. Because not everybody's meant to be a recruiter. No, not everyone. But there is plenty of different roles in talent acquisition that you could be a really good fit for. And Mm -hmm. it goes to the point, what drives you? If you love connecting people, working with people, recruiter might be. But do you like to spend a lot of time just finding new stuff, finding where people are? That's a sourcer. You're very task-driven. Yeah. Recruiting coordinator is a perfect role for you. And there's many more. Recruitment marketer. We didn't talk Mm -hmm. about that role. That is one that still doesn't exist a lot in most organizations. So, Shelly, anything that you've got going on? Actually, I've got one big exciting thing happening is five months ago, I ordered some new furniture and it's actually going to arrive. So new year, new living quarters, doing a refresh. So I'm excited about that. How How much furniture did you buy? And if I know how much you like to (laughs) spend money, I'm not even going to ask how much it was. You know, a proper lady never discloses what she paid. It's going to be lovely. Please don't (laughs) tell me. I don't want to know. But perfect. Shelly, have a great weekend. It was great to do this again. And audience, thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.